0: It's
1: a base hit. It's a victory. Welcome to the Exit Velocity Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Brent. As always, I'm here with George. How are we doing this evening? Pretty good, man.
2: Extra excited for our uh, show tonight as we are going to be focusing on the Minnesota Twins.
1: Yes. So we have. Twins expert, writer for Twins <laughs> Daily, host of the Lockdown Twins podcast, Nash Walker with us. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks, guys. I, I like to think of myself as knowledgeable. I wouldn't put myself in the expert category just yet, but uh, I hope I can be of some assistance to the, to the audience tonight.
1: Yes. Yeah, we've been working our way around with the Lockdown Network, and we're both from Minnesota, huge Twins fans. So this one, we are extremely...
0: Oh, it's incredible. a lot of pressure a lot of pressure yeah tell (laughs) us if i'm wrong on any on any twin stuff you guys can correct me other other spots won't be able to but you guys will know
1: (laughs) yeah we shall see what happens uh so tell us how you got started with twins daily and locked on yeah so i I mean we've been
0: we've been twins fans our whole lives my dad and i and i kind of started up with my dad of course going to the metrodome and Uh, going to games back in the day. And I grew up a huge Twins fan and a huge baseball guy played my whole life. Um, But, you know, as we all three know, um, they struggled, you know, in the last uh, five or six years, losing 90 to 100 games a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to be super invested in those times. And we still went to games. We still supported them. Um, But, you know, it is a little more difficult. And then last offseason, to see them kind of start to with this new front office to kind of start to make moves and to improve on their core, which we were excited about, you know, Jorge right? Polanco and, and Max Kepler, you know, and I've, we were excited about these guys, but we needed supplementation mm-hmm. and to see that happen last off season kind of bought me back into the process. And I started watching them, write, You know, from opening day in March and into April. And, um, you know, I just decided I really wanted to get involved because I liked I'm a journalism major. So I, I thought it'd be a good idea for me to start writing I'm very passionate about the team. So I said, okay, I'm going to reach out to John Bonus, who's a a co-owner of Twins Daily. And I listen to their podcast every day or almost every day. And I reached out to him. I said, hey, how can I get involved? He said, so glad uh, you wrote. And then we had a phone call. He set me up with a blog. And then, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months later, I was writing on the front page for him, which was uh, a super cool opportunity. Locked on, kind of fell into my lap a little bit. I Had a connection with Brandon Warren, who reports for Mm -hmm. the Twins for Zone Coverage. And uh, he put out this opportunity and uh, I did an interview for locked on and it was just it, everything kind of fell in line. I got some great opportunities. uh, have met some great people and I've just enjoyed every minute of it.
1: Yeah. And speaking of twins this year, my first question to you, how good could this team have been this year if we didn't have this lockdown or how good could they be if they still play this year?
0: Yeah, I think, well, I think, you know, we might get into it a little bit more, but I think there's going to be a season. Uh, maybe that's the optimistic view. I did write at Twins Daily this week. I'm I'm preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best, definitely, with this. Um, I did write about, in the event of a canceled season, what that would mean for the Twins. It does have big, big implications for the Twins. It has big implications for every club. Mm-hmm. But specifically for the Twins, I kind of focus more on maximizing Uh, the final years of the King, Nelly Cruz. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just getting his age 40 season, now he'll be 40 this summer. He only has, you know, I think the best way to put it is he's better today than he will be tomorrow, it seems. And I think to maximize him in the heart of the lineup for one more year maybe before he enters free agency or before he retires, I don't think he's going to retire. I mean, he was second in the AL and OPS last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to have him in the heart of the lineup for at least one more summer, to lose that would be really just – that would be a huge blow to the Twins. But what I've kind of said this offseason and, and last summer was uh, what was separating the Twins from being in the same conversation as the Astros and the Yankees? Because we know they won 100 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were right up there record-wise. They the third seed in the AL. Uh, were swept by the Yankees, of course, and, and kind of were made – they they looked like the little brother in that series again. Uh, but I think the separation was – They needed a a star or or someone to kind of propel them over the top. Early on, we wanted it to be Zach Wheeler. You know, early on, we were thinking about Madison Bumgarner could be that guy because of his pedigree in the postseason. And then it became Josh Donaldson. And I think when they added Donaldson, it really became real for me and for a lot of Twins fans that, wow, this team is in it to win it. And they're going to be really good. They just won 101 games and then added their best player. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the way that I thought of it, which was, this team is special, and if we don't get a season, that'd be a huge blow to a franchise. that seems like they're on the edge of a World Series run, and, and that's why it really hurts a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and I know uh, me and Jordan, the one guy that they signed, that at first when it happened, it was part of the Mookie Betts deal. We're like, oh, man, we could do better than that. But right, I know as Jordan can tell you we've kind of fell in love with
0: it as the Kenta Maeda deal. Yep. And yeah. he just fell right in our lap. He did. And, and Kenta is a guy that I look at Kenta and I was down in Fort Myers uh, for spring training at the beginning of March, right when, right before things started to fall down. So I watched Kenta pitch uh, in Fort Myers against the Red Sox. He was striking out Raphael Devers. He's making JD Martinez look dumb and, uh, you know, striking out Xander Bogart. It's like the heart of the Red Sox lineup. It is spring training. And, and we only can take so much from that, but this is a guy that when you look at him, his, pedigree against right-handed batters there's one pitcher that's better than him against righties in the last four years that he's been in the league it's max scherzer so when you look at Kentomaida and the average against right-handed batters i think the twins saw that in him and they said wow we can really mold this guy maybe improve his pitch mix against lefties maybe throw in a different pitch throws change up more uh, have a different approach against slugging lefties in the american league but you look at this american league central in the best players are are right-handed essentially. I mean, Francisco Lindor is the one exception. He mm-hmm. might not be here very long in the AL Central, but he's a guy. He's a switch hitter who hits righties better. Um, but you look around at the White Sox who are emerging, and we're going to talk about the AL Central more too. But the White Sox: Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, Edwin Encarnacion. These are big slugging righties that in their career have not hit righties as well, and that's a matchup that I want every day of the week. Kenta mm-hmm. Maeda against these righties, Um, and I think he is a couple adjustments against lefties away from being – he can get to that ace level. I think he can get there. I believe in the front office. I believe them when they say they think he can get there because I see the numbers against righties. And so that's the biggest thing for me. His slider's nasty. Uh, Just great mix against righties. Shuts them down. I think in the last four years, opponent batting average is like 180. Last year is was 158, which is the best in baseball. Um, So you look at that and that's really encouraging for me is that maybe he's just a couple
2: adjustments away against lefties from being that ace for the twins. Mm -hmm. And you think about it with uh, what's interesting is that the whole season now, I mean, with the potential of it being shortened and his unique contract and the restraints that were arising with him, maybe um, having limitations and not getting 32 starts in the season. I feel like now we can let him loose too. Oh, yeah, first season. And that gives us the most upside.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I haven't looked at it from every single angle. I think I will more once we have a definitive date of when we're going to start and how many games they're hoping to play. But mostly on the pitching staff, we've thought of Michael Pineda's suspension is 39 games left on his suspension. He was set to come back May 10th. That was a, a home series against the Royals here uh, at Target Field. And that's when he was going to come back. But now it's up in the air. Is that suspension going to get prorated? for however long the season is? Does he still have to serve the 39 games? Hopefully he doesn't because that's a larger portion of the season. But, yeah, you look at a guy like Kentomaida who is his contract is so incentive-laden. Everything's about games started, innings pitched. The Dodgers sent over $10 million for his first year. <laughs> so, basically, I mean, his first year for the Twins is free, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that contract yeah. is one of the most team-friendly in all of baseball because he was coming over from Japan He Got, you know, it was an eight year deal for 24 million, something like that. He wanted the guaranteed money, incentives were just so heavy in it. And they talked about on Gleeman and the Geek, too. I don't know if you guys are, are, uh, you know, familiar with that podcast, but that's John Bonus, who the owner of Twins Daily, I was talking about. They said Kent and Maeda would have made Dallas Keiko money on the market or more, you know, three years. Uh, probably around 60 million mm-hmm. and he's here for four years and 12 million guaranteed. So what it's just, deal. and the Dodgers sent over 10. So <laughs> it's just like, and yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to pay him 3 million a year at three and a half a year. I think he's averaged like seven uh, since he's been with the Dodgers. But I mean, even then that's a huge bargain for someone like him to Maeda. And I think I'm really excited about him. And I think we all should be excited about what he brings to this rotation. Not only a stability piece, but he has that upside, too, as I was talking about. I think he can be that guy. And we're all expecting Jose Barrios to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But I think he could be
2: Maeda. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, even thinking about that, like you already mentioned uh, Pineda, too, with that suspension. But even think of a guy like Rich Hill being hurt yep. now. And then when the, time, when the season does get underway with him being ready to perform, basically when the season starts, potentially. He is uh, Rich Hill in the last – I
0: think I took a sample of – i I've been doing like quarantine stats just looking up random stuff because we have time to do these things but I think I took the sample and, and I knew he'd been really good when he's healthy but that's a big one for him uh, or a big if rather but in the last three or four years he's a top 10 starter in all of baseball with at least I mean he's thrown over 400 innings uh, he's top 10 in ERA he's top 10 in opponent OPS he's top 10 in opponent batting average he's a top 10 pitcher when he's healthy He's someone that they brought aboard, and I kind of pushed this in the article that I wrote of why a canceled season hurts them. They brought him solely for, let's say, 13 starts and then October, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even if they got 10 starts out of him in then October, this is a guy that you want in your rotation come those big games in October. You can trot him out there if he's healthy, and there's a chance he never pitches for the Twins now, even if there's not a canceled season, is that his elbow doesn't recover in time. Mm-hmm. He has setbacks. He's 40 years old. You never know. But this was such a low-risk, high-upside deal for them that they could trot this guy out three, four times in October, and he could win three or four games mm-hmm. and pitch shutouts. He's done it in October for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they had guys like Walker Buehler and Clayton Kershaw and Maeda. Mm-hmm. So that, that rotation was so deep that they had to send Maeda to the bullpen every year. And that they also did that to, to hold back those incentives because they had Rich Hill as well, prime Rich Hill who is just locked down, nasty Mm -hmm. curveball, shuts down both sides of the plate. And like I said, that contract is also a very, very low risk for the Twins. I think it's three guaranteed, three million guaranteed, uh, the same as Maeda. Maeda might be three and a half, but I think Rich is three. Um, So if he never pitches an inning, that's three million. That's a rounding error for the Twins, right? I mean, that's a bullpen arm. They signed Sergio Roma for five million. They signed Tyler Clippard for five million. So um, you look at, Rich Hill and the upside that he could bring To this this team in October and even down The stretch in, in August and September That's another arm to get excited about I just think I think there are high upside Arms here and then you look at this Lineup and it kind of goes back to how special This team is this lineup is They just hit the most home runs in baseball Then added Josh Donaldson these guys are a year older Miguel Sano was a beast in the second half And they're all kind of hitting their stride At the same time I mean Mitch Garver was unbelievable Last mm-hmm. year and just like and the approach, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big Bobo on on Garver's approach, and he's certainly one of my favorite players to watch on the Twins because he's not, I mean, he's got big boy power, but at the same time, he's so patient at the plate. His chase rate was 11% below average last year because he's just so selective, and that's the reason he gets fastballs down the heart and just destroys them. I think he slugged 800 against fastballs, but he forces those pitches. He's going to see more off-speed stuff this year, uh, and I think he's going to adjust to that, But the reason that he gets fastballs is because he forces pitchers to throw fastballs. If he keeps that approach, he's going to continue to rake. So the lineup is going to produce. We know this. But the rotation, I think, has been the question. Then they go out and get Maeda and stabilize it a little more, add that upside, and then you throw in an arm like Rich Hill. And it feels like this is a team and a rotation that can have success in October. And that's why we want 2020 to happen
2: as Twins fans. Yeah. Man, the excitement that that you – even just provided there but then all the upcoming like suspense like we just don't know right and that's what really just affects us all in twins nation yeah it's just like the yeah, wait, the wait and see effect does. because like the definitive date that is i mean we don't know well when it's going to be and we can only i mean guess and take our uh predictions i guess right now
0: yeah i i guess i'm i'm speculating and predicting too long. i i've paid a lot of attention to this because we all want baseball back mm-hmm. i i Wait, you know, we waited a long time and especially with this twins team, um, you know, waited a long time is October to March. It's not crazy, but I, it feels like we've waited a long time. They get swept by the Yankees. Mm. Uh, it feels like they needed to make a few moves. They did. I think they spent the third or fifth most money this offseason. Yep. They went and made these moves. They got a, a, a bona fide star in Josh Donaldson, in my opinion, at least for the first two years of the contract. I think he will be. He's going to probably have five or six war with 35 and 40 homers and then elite defense at third base as Love well. It. And now they're, they're, they're gearing up and they're ready to go. You know, and it, it's just they're in spring training. The vibes are phenomenal. They said this is the most media attention that they've had in spring training, national media attention. Ken Rosenthal's there. Jeff Passon's there. Bob Nightingale's there. These guys are at Twins training camp talking to the players about how special this season is shaping up to be and how they're a favorite in the American League to come out of the American League and certainly to win the AL Central. So I think wrapping all this together, I've really tried to focus on when this could start. Yes, we don't know how the virus is going to progress. It's most important that people are healthy, that the players are healthy, that the fans are healthy. That's absolutely number one. If we look at it, in my best estimation, I think – June 1st is a good point to to look at. That might be really optimistic and hopeful. I know that they've talked about June 1st. I've looked at the schedule a little bit. If you have doubleheaders every Saturday, which is something they're talking about, and I think they both agree on when I say both, I mean the Players Association and Major League Baseball, would be have a doubleheader every weekend. That's a lot. You'd have to expand the rosters to keep arms fresh. And I think you have a doubleheader every weekend that adds 17 games. After June 1st, they have 100 left, the Twins. And then if they played midway through October, there's 15. You have 130 games. I think you can see who the best teams are with 130 games. Maybe not as well as 162. But if we got 130 games, I mean, that'd be insanely – I mean, that's insanely optimistic, but that'd be just great if we could get that.
1: Yeah, my one issue that I can see with this Twins team is we are older. The stamina, I think if we smash all those games together – could get a little ugly because last year the only guy to play over 140 games is Jorge Blanco. Everybody else is under 140, a lot of 130 games. Nelson Cruz only played 120. So my thing would be if they smash these games together, we're going to need like a Marwin Gonzalez to step in. Uh, Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And that's – I mean, that's a very fair – Point to make as well. I think when you look at the Twins, though, and you look at the depth that they have, they had 10 above-average hitters last year with Adrian's, and Marwin was not an above-average hitter last year. He, he really didn't have a great year last year. So you're right that he needs to step up. Hit that big homer off Josh Hader that we all remember, but you know didn't have the, the year that they were probably hoping from him. He wasn't completely healthy. He's going to be a key. You're right. The depth is going to be key. But when you look at the strength of the Twins, it's because they have that depth. They have three minor league arms that all pitched at the big league level last year, Randy Dobnack, Lewis Thorpe, and Devin Smeltzer, who are probably, you know, are not looking to make the opening day rotation when they brought in Jolie's just It looked like those three are going to be sent back down to triple A and just stashed there and ready to come up and throw. It seems like they have 10 major league ready arms. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about the arms as much at all. I also think the strength of the Twins farm system, because they're a top 10 farm, uh, you know, unanimously across the board, is because they're deep. They have a great top five. I, I like their top five a lot. You know, a lot of baseball writers and, and baseball analysts like their top five, but the strength of the system is in like the 10 to 20 range. Luis Arise was like the 17th best prospect. Mm-hmm. So you look at what can happen deeper in that range and the upside that they have back there of guys that are ready to go. And we'll talk more about the prospects, but they have arms and bats that are ready to contribute at the major league level and you're going to see that and that's really exciting because we're going to see guys like brent rooker and trevor Larnack and alex Tiriloff if there is a shortened season like this where they're having doubleheaders, canceling out off days they're going to bring these guys up because they're going to need them yeah. and we're going to see them at the big league level and they seem ready to go and this is kind of it's funny because we were talking about these players and saying this lineup is so loaded, where the heck is Alex Kirloff going to fit in if he if he hits 350 at double at A and then gets moved up and he's ready to ready to play in the bigs? He doesn't have a spot. But now, because if, if the season is shortened in the way that, that we're hoping it is, he's going to have an opportunity. These guys are going to have opportunities because they're going to need off days, and that's a good point, is that the stamina could be an issue, but they also have guys that are ready to go, and that's where the strength of the system really is, is deep. And also, right at the forefront with Kirilov and Larnack, who both just mm. raked in spring training and looked just tremendous. I mean, I was at the game; Larnack hit one about 500 feet. And they're talking about, I mean, the knock, the one knock that you can find on Trevor Larnack that that people write about is, oh, we don't know if he has pull power. You know, you can spread it to all three fields. Does he have pull power? I watched him pull a ball about 500 feet out to the highway mm-hmm. in Fort Myers. So uh, I think they have guys that are ready to go, and that's why I'm a little less worried about. The depth piece, I worry more about a team like like the White Sox, who I'm sure we'll talk about too, who are very strong up front and have four top 40 prospects, but after that don't have much at all. Mm -hmm. So I feel better about the Twins who have a deeper system from ten to twenty, if you can pull a guy who hits three thirty-four, like Luis Arise and from a ten to twenty prospect range,
2: I feel pretty good about the system. You know, so I, I feel good about, for about sure. their depth. Who do you think is the first to arrive offensively for the Twins? And then we'll get into the White Sox, and then we can also discuss. Because I was going to say, in my opinion, with the White Sox, all their prospects are currently either up now and are should be performing, and uh, whereas like we have that depth in the farm still to this day but who do you think will be the first to arrive for the twins
0: it's a really good question i think uh the two names i mentioned are certainly uh Larnick. front runners for me and yeah. and trevor Larnick and, and alex kirloff i think uh royce certainly their top prospect royce lewis uh certainly soon i think 2021 is a better yeah. estimate for him but in a shortened season we could see him we could see him too but first I mean, Larnik had a had an 842 OPS at high A, then gets moved up to double A, same exact OPS, 842. So, and that's <laughs> tremendous. At high A in the Southern League, pitching friendly league to have an 842 OPS and then get to Pensacola and have an 842 OPS and just match it in the last fourth of the year and then rake the way he did in Fort Myers. I think he was 10 for 24, something ridiculous with a couple of homers. Uh, Just was was great and looks like a major leaguer. So I think Larnik, uh, you know, the debate's been, is Larnick a, a better prospect than, than Alex Kirilov? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be here first? I think, I don't know. I think those answers can be different. I think Kirilov is still the higher upside, higher floor prospect in my mind because of his hit tool and just his ability to just go out there and, and wake up and hit. I think mm-hmm. Kirilov certainly could be the first guy and I still think is their, their best outfield prospect and their number two prospect to Royce. But at the same time, Larnack has really closed that gap, hasn't he, over the last year, and that's exciting for us. I mean, I think you look at it, and because Alex Kirloff is still – I mean, he had a tough first half of the year last year, went out just raking, he had four homers in four postseason games. But for Larnack to close the gap the way he has on a prospect of Kirloff's caliber, who is, you know, across the board a top 30 prospect, Keith Law had him ninth overall in baseball. For Larnack, for that to even be a debate, shows – the depth of this system and shows how special this system is and how much talent they have coming through the line. So I think it's one of those two. It's gonna be whoever if they have a minor league season that starts, it's gonna be whoever hits better at double A in Pensacola. Or if Kirloff starts at triple A in Rochester, whoever hits better I think is gonna be the first one up. I think mm-hmm. they're right in line right now for first one up. I think Larnack's a little bit older because he plays like twenty four right state in Kirloff. Yeah, I think yeah, maybe he's twenty three. I think Kirloff's twenty two and I think Maybe you're right. Maybe he is. I, I think Larnik's older than Kirloff because he played until uh, his junior year in college, and then Kirloff got drafted in 2017, but uh, or 2018, I think it was. Yeah, Royce was, yeah, 2017. But I think it's going to be one of those two, and then Royce shouldn't be too far after. Um, and then you can't forget about guys like Brent Rooker, who I think is also major league ready. They had Luke Rayleigh, who they traded for Maeda as part of the Miata deal. He was ready, too. These are 26-year-old outfielders who have excelled at the AAA level. So it could be Brent Rooker. It's going to be one of those outfielders, I think. But then you look at the major league outfield, and they got Max Kepler and, and Eddie and, and Byron Buxton and Jake Cave, and they got plenty of depth there, too. So I think it's a difficult question, and I think it's going to be whoever hits better, to be honest with you, between right. Kirloff and Larnik.
1: Yeah, who do you think is the Twins' biggest threat in the AL Central? you have the White Sox, or do you still think the Indians with that pitching rotation?
0: You guys are going to have to uh, bear with my my White Sox bias. Least favorite, I mean – I. I, I feel sick <laughs> when I talk about them. <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I can't stand them. Uh, my best friend's, uh, he's from South Side, um, or he's actually from the North Side, but he's a huge White Sox fan. So it, this is hard for me. You know, we've had many, many debates. I actually know a lot about the White Sox because of, uh, because mm-hmm. of him and because mm-hmm. of just looking into them. Um, but I did mention top, you know, four, of the, uh, they have four top 40 prospects. Uh, in Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, Andrew Vaughn, and Michael Kopek. But after that, not much. So they have a lot, and they just extended Johan Mancata. And that, that was a, I mean, we shouldn't look at it and say, oh, God, that's, you know, that's a bargain. I think my unbiased view of it is they're paying a premium for him. In what would have been his third year of arbitration, he's making Francisco Lindor money in his, basically what is going to be his third year of arbitration next year. It's very similar. So they're expecting him to be like Francisco Lindor. And I'm not saying he can't be that, but that's who he's being paid like uh, in his final years of arbitration. They did that so they could get his free agency at $25 million a year in his first year, and then they have a or $22 million and then a $25 million option in the second year. So they have these guys extended, too. Ilo Jimenez is extended. Tim Anderson's on, a, on an extension. Uh, they had, and Luis Roberts just signed that big one, too, before he's even played in the big. So they have their core locked in. And it is scary for Twins fans, I think, because we're not used to being on top and once you're on top, uh, you're the hunted, yeah. right? You're, we're, no longer, we're no longer the hunter. We're being hunted. So we look down, and there is a little bit of that anxiety and that fear. But I think when I look at the White Sox, very high upside, of course. I mean, you, you look at the, the sheer talent that they have in their system and the guys that they've brought up and that excelled last year. But my thing with them is Yohan just had an MVP caliber season, got MVP votes. Lucas Giolito, I think, finished fifth in Cy Young voting, and they won 72 mm-hmm. games. So, yeah, do I think – you know, the guys are going to come up and help. Do I think they have even 90 win upside? Not this year, but yes, I do think they have that sort of upside. But I think a lot of things have to break right for them, even in the next two years. I'm not a Dallas Keuchel fan. I, I know I mentioned that maybe the Twins should think about getting Dallas Keuchel. I think having a lefty in this division is is not a good proposition for the reasons I mentioned on, on my Ada, in that the Twins, too, just had they, the Twins have Miguel Sano, Josh Donaldson, Nelson Cruz, and Mitch Garver four of the best righties in baseball against lefties. I think they're top four or five in hard hit percentage against lefties in 2019. So I, if you feel confident trotting Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez out against the Minnesota twins, like all the power to you. I certainly wouldn't, but I I feel confident that the twins are, are, they've proven to us that they can win. And will it take maybe one season for the White Sox to go out there and, and have an incredible year? And could that happen? It it could. I'm not saying it, it can't happen, but it's a lot like what we've said with the twins, maybe in 2017 or 2018. And eventually they did break out in 2019. And a lot of things did go right. It wasn't a magical season by any means. They had a lot of injuries, but a lot of things would have to break right for the White Sox. I think in 2020 and even in 2021, because of how strong the twins are with that top 10 system, the Sox no longer have a top 10 yeah. system, in my opinion, because they've graduated so many guys to the majors. And then they have guys who haven't really developed yet. Dylan Cease had a, a, above five ERA last year, Ronaldo Lopez, I think had the worst ERA in all of baseball, gave up the most homers in baseball. So these are guys that are going to have to like reduce their ERAs by two runs. And certainly they could, and, and I'm not saying they can't, but it just seems like a lot for all of them to break at the same time. And, and I'm not, I'm not too concerned about what they bring uh, to the table even in the next two years.
1: Yeah, I mean, the roster, if you look through it, I mean, it's. I think it's a roster full of misfit toys. What they tried to do, I think, is blend a bunch of old veterans in to teach young guys yep. how to play, like Edwin and
0: Canarsio. They're, try, they're trying to be the twins, yeah. Brent. They're trying to be the twins. I mean, you look at what the twins did last year with, with Nelson Cruz and, and bringing in Jonathan Scope and CJ Crone, kind of trying to supplement, but they tried to follow the twins' model for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Nomar Mazzara, he's been, he struggled with uh, Texas, so he might be able to come around. But like the, uh, even the rotation, like you said, it's a bunch of righties that throw hanging curveballs that are going to get smashed. Ronaldo Lopez, yeah. every other game, he could give up 10 runs. Yep. Yeah.
0: I mean, they just have so many question marks, right? I just think they have so many question marks up and down the roster. And those questions could be answered, yes, 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 hit, 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 hit. They all reach their potential. But the odds of that happening are, are slim to none, in my mind at least. And uh, maybe we're really foolish to think that they can't come and they can't you know, put out all together for one or two seasons and then have a dynasty for the next five or six years. But I, I just all believe it when I see it, maybe. is It's the approach to take there because we've seen it with the Twins. They just won 101 mm-hmm. games. It's the second most in franchise history. We saw them do it. The White Sox won 72 games. So until we see them do it, I don't think there's much concern there. But the Indians last year, I mean, they weren't worried about the Twins. Mm-hmm. And then the Twins come up and, and steal it right away. So it's certainly a volatile league, and it's it's something to watch for sure. And I, I definitely have. I try not to look at White Sox fan Twitter accounts because uh, that drives me nuts, but <laughs> other than that, uh, I just try to pay attention to the moves and pay attention to the division because
2: divisions are so big in baseball as we know. Yeah,
1: Jordan, who do you fear? Do you Are you more worried about the Indians or are you White Sox? No, I've mentioned
2: this before. Cleveland is my biggest, I would say, they would be considered as the biggest threat for us just as far as what they've done in, the past, in recent years and with the strength of their rotation when healthy. Um, Bieber and Clevenger are now at like top tier on that rotation, which is a bit strange comparing to recent years, but um, just based on what Terry, what Terry Francona does, he's a winner. He knows how to win, and he's had recent success there. So I would say that they still remain our biggest contender in the Central.
0: Yeah, I think the the common theme there yeah. is they've proven they can do it, <laughs> right? They won the division three years in a row. Uh, like you said, Tito's great. Uh, they have winning players. They have the best left side of the infield in the league, in my opinion, in, in Ramirez and Lindor. Uh, top two in the rotation, super strong depth wise, you know, not anywhere near the twins. Their outfield is kind of a mess. Um, So there's a team to think about again, but, and they've proven they can win. And I think that's more so why we worry about the Indians is they were a legitimate threat to the twins last year. And then they won the division three years in a row, like I said. So I think you're right that Jordan, that the proving you can win is a big thing. I think in this is you have to prove the White Sox. Like when's the last time they had a winning season, 2008, that doesn't change anything, but I just think you have to prove it to me at least. And maybe that doesn't mean anything, but for sure. uh, It's just nice to
2: know that that's our biggest competition, like on paper, because I, they don't seem as fearful as they have in years past, which is nice. Right. Because I mean, even last year, the twins, they, they exceeded my expectations, obviously. And I'm sure they did to many. Right. But like, (laughs) but like, I'd say, but I mean, like, (laughs) even in comparing like what we are now and in the strides we made this off season and what everyone else did, which was next to nothing, I just feel that we can be extra confident going into the season.
0: I agree. We basically, the biggest things that we did, uh, we replaced CJ Krohn's bat with Miguel Sano's bat, uh, replaced Miguel Sano's defense (laughs) with Josh Donaldson's defense. (laughs) Replaced Jonathan Scope with three thirty four, three ninety nine on base percentage. Luis Uh replace Kyle Gibson with Kenta Maeda and then kind of filled out the rest uh, is what the Twins did, and that's just a, that's beati- just a beautiful thing uh, <laughs> across across the board. That is improvement uh, on a hundred and one win club. But there was a lot of anxiety this offseason, for sure, myself included. I had to I had to talk a couple people off the ledge. I think on the podcast, and oh, they're going to do something. They're going to do something, and they they certainly struck late. And, uh, you know, it got us more excited, and that's why it's a little more disappointing. For sure, now even, like, the I mean, how starting. we addressed yeah.
2: it and how we were so patient and then the fact that we didn't get the pitchers that we all thought we wanted and needed. Like, man, the front office just continues to amaze us. I mean, even Rocco Baldelli, they, be, like, i, I think I'm they stunned. Like, I'm, like, in awe of what we did last year.
0: <laughs> I know. It's just – it's insane. And the, the job that he did, and I just – I was also in awe of watching his like post-game pressers and like, he was just the calmest yeah. individual. I think he is perfect as a manager for the twins. Like, I I mean, that showed last year, one manager of the year in 101 games, who, but I think he was really yeah. who knew? a perfect fit who for knew? them. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's just, who knew? I mean, it's just crazy how it all worked out. And, and now we're here and, and it's exciting. And they're an AL favorite, which is just crazy to even say. It still feels wrong, but it is true. Guys. So what would we they say are, would be a right success for
2: 2020? Uh, beating the Yankees once in the playoffs, or <laughs> <laughs> how about beat them in the regular season?
0: Yeah, <laughs> beat them in a series. That'd be nice. No, I think uh, bare minimum, win the division and win a playoff series. I think we can say that. I mean, you you at the very least have to win the Central. If they don't win the Central, it's a disaster. I, I, in a in an eighty-one game or whatever season, maybe crazy things will happen but i'd say definitely winning the central and winning and winning a playoff yeah. series. They they got to win a playoff series. Maybe start with a game because <laughs> we haven't gotten that in a long time, but winning a playoff series is the minimum for me and then after that you never know what happens, you know, they could they can make a run after that point. I've I've said over and over i think the twins should uh and i think they are striving to be better than the Astros because the Yankees are the Yankees, they're going to be there. They're probably going to be the one seed. Uh, with Garrett Cole, I know Severino's out and, and Paxton should be healthy by the time the season comes, but they're still the Yankees. And I think the Twins can push past the Astros. George Springer's a free agent after this season. Verlander and Greinke are 37 and 36. I mean, they're still great, but uh, how much longer? you know? And, and their core is intact, but I think the Twins can consistently be a two-seed here in the next couple of years, starting this year. Get home field for a playoff series, and then go win a playoff series. I mean, that's, and then if they get swept in the in the championship series, very disappointing. We would hate to see it, but then we go into twenty twenty one. We say, all right, win the win the American League. You know, it's just it's just steps that you take, and I think they could win a playoff series, win another playoff series, and then it, it's just it's October, you know, or it might be November. shit, maybe even December. But you never know, you <laughs> never know what's gonna happen. Yeah, it might even be idea, Christmas <laughs> at uh, US Bank. We're going to see uh, some World Series games. But I think, yeah, definitely win a playoff series is the bare minimum, at least in my mind. I think uh they have to do that. They have to. They have to. I, I mean, think that's what Twins Daily.
2: They, they casted that vote as to, like what would be considered as success. And that was I think that's what I voted for It was just honestly winning a playoff series because that's how meaningful that would be for us Twins fans. For some people,
0: uh, winning the Central is yeah. really, really good and fun and great. Uh, for some people, winning a game would be awesome. And I, I definitely sympathize with that, and it's been 16 years. And then other people are like, oh, no one cares if you lose the last game of the year. Let's win the World Series. I get it all, but I think realistically, yeah. yes, I think that's the right vote, is that winning a playoff series would yeah. be – I think we'd be satisfied uh, with that at least, especially if they had another good year, like another winning the division by eight games or so. Yeah, year sending the Yankees home would just – uh, oh, oh God! Would that be God. Fun? <laughs> Who cares what happens in the championship series if we sent the Yankees home? God, that would be fun. I mean, I just think if we beat the Astros in the in the division series, or if the Twins we just can't say we if the Twins beat the Astros in the division series, and then they would yeah. like take the Yankees to seven, even would be oh. would be really cool. Like, how fun would that be? It'd just be so cool to watch them and like trying to win the the pennant would just yeah. be. I, we haven't gotten that in so long. So I think we just that, – that would be really, really cool to have them as a top two in the American League fighting for the pennant trying to get to the World Series would be a yeah, really sure. cool thing for Twins fans.
1: Yeah, yeah. so going through – I was just looking at history and whatnot. Going through the past two decades, I know the Yankees always put good product on the field and whatnot, but I think there's something more to it. I mean, 2003, 2004, 2009, 2010, the Yankees beat us. 2017, the wild card game. They beat us. We were up three nothing after Eddie Rosario. <laughs> 2019 with probably the best team since 2009 2010. They sweep us. Yep. What is? What do you think it is with the Yankees? Bright. I know they have great teams, but is it the bright lights? Is it the pressure? What is it?
0: Yeah, I think for the 2019 team specifically, and I've I've thought about this series a lot. We've had a lot of time to think about this series, guys. I mean, I've thought about. I've watched the games over. Uh, I was at Me Game too. Three, so I, I kind of felt that there. But I watched it on the TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Game Three. It was fun for the first couple. of Before days, the game started, exploded it it at the, the bottom of the second. Then, uh, yeah, it was really cool. I was listening to the TV to the broadcast the other day. I was watching yeah. it on on TV, yeah. and it was loud in there. We were great. We were really great. I mean, it was it was a good atmosphere for a team that just got smacked on the road twice in a row. But it was, I I think I think the bright lights for this team in 2019, I think they felt it a little bit. I think we can be honest there. A lot of these guys have never been in that spot. Playing at Yankee Stadium in itself is its own beast, I think, and that's why I want them to get the two seats so they can just get home field mm-hmm. and play at home. A five-game series where you have to go on the road the first two games is very, very difficult to win. The The Rays played so well mm-hmm. in Houston and still lost in five mm-hmm. because you have to go back in game five. Like, it's just – Very, very difficult, especially going to Yankee Stadium and and having to uh, endure that atmosphere. Yankees always have a good product, Brent. You're right. They've always had more powerful teams than the Twins. I think last year was the one year we could say the Twins match Mm -hmm. up, you know, tit for tat uh, with the power to up and down the lineup is okay. You know, Mitch Garver is as good as Gary Sanchez. He's better than Gary Sanchez. You go position by position. And I did that this this uh, offseason at Twins Daily. I went position by position. Uh, who's the best at each position for the Astros, Yankees, and Twins. And the Twins came in second. The Astros were in first. It was a very unbiased <laughs> view. I got a lot of uh, concurrments. A lot of people agreed with the positions. Uh, but they matched up at every single position, positional player-wise. But the Twins, I, I love Randy Dominick. Don't get me wrong. I-, I think he's a really effective Major League pitcher. I think he can be a, a back-of-the-rotation guy who consistently can get outs and put up quality starts, no. but he cannot be starting in game two at Yankee Stadium. I, that showed that mm-hmm. you, they didn't have the pitching depth that they needed. They weren't going to win this series starting Randy Domnack at Yankee Stadium in game two. I look back, and I can honestly say that. At the time, he was so hot. He was great, and I was, I was feeling good. I was like, okay, we got whooped last <laughs> night. It was a good game, game one, but you know they pulled away. And then I, I thought, okay, Randy's been really good. Let's let's go. And then he was clearly overmatched. It's a Yankees club that you cannot throw a, a back rotation starter out there in game two. And I think they knew that. And that's why they were pushing all offseason for that, you know, at least a, a number two, like a Zach Wheeler, who you can maybe turn into a number one. But, Brent, it's a good question. I think it's a mix of a lot of things. I think the bright lights were something. I mean, I, I think we should pay attention to that. Also though, I give them the benefit of the doubt because you think about the health during that mm-hmm. series, Mitch Garver's hip was not right. He just didn't look right. He didn't look right. I think he went 0 for 10 or something mm-hmm. like that. Max Kepler's shoulder. He was out for a month before the series. Um, you know, Nelson Cruz, his wrist is still, you it's know, like 60% still trying to play through the wrist injury. Yeah. It's just insane. I think he got just a thousand OPS even with the wrist after he got hurt, which is crazy. Um, but there were injuries. Polanco just had ankle surgery. He wasn't fully healthy. So I, I look at the team, and I don't think they were completely healthy. Luis yep, Sorais yep. was hobbling. Yeah, You know, remember he sprained yeah. his ankle the weekend before, and uh, he shouldn't have been playing. But he was because it's the playoffs, and he was so good in a big part of the squad, of course. But they weren't healthy. That was another part. And then it's such a short series, and it's in October, that it, it can be gone in the you know snap of the fingers can be done. And I, I think it's hard. But if you play the Yankees 100 times last year, even if you do start Randy Dominick in game two, I think you go to game five in more, in more series than not is, is how I would put it. I think in a smaller percentage of those 100 series, you're getting swept. Mm-hmm. I just think in baseball, they were the only team to get swept uh, in, the, in the division series. Like I just think in baseball, the way that it's played, the best teams in the world win two out of three games. Like, it's just I think it was a really unique series, which sucks for us because it was such a fun year. And the Yankees always beat us and we just wanted to beat them at least one game and then they sweep us. And it does suck. It also sucks that we have to wait longer to start this season. But I just think there are many factors that that played in. And I think the injuries is something we should look at primarily as why the twins weren't, you know, really competitive in that series. Yeah. And like uh, like going back
1: to our roster and overall setup of our entire organization, like getting a rich hill, that's a playoff card. And a guy we haven't even mentioned on the show yet, Homer Bailey, if he goes back to his 2013 self, you got something there. But the twins are set up at the trade deadline that they can roll out the cards and how deep our farm system is and throw a little, even like a Keel Badu to get like a Matthew Boyd from the Detroit Tigers or a mid-level arm for playoff time. Yep.
0: Totally. And I think, That's the biggest thing with this front office that we need to understand is and I just every time they make a decision, I remind myself of this. They the number one thing that they want, whether it's financially uh, roster wise, is flexibility. They need flexibility Mm -hmm. and that's what they push for. And they've worked so hard for it. And that's why the Donaldson signing was was out of the out of their realm. Because he's not super flexible, he's got no trade clause to twelve teams or whatever, and you know in the last two years it might be an albatross, but they needed to do that, and I think it was a great signing, and I supported. I I've said on, on my show for like three straight months, go get Donaldson. Uh, so I was definitely really excited about that. So that was a little different, but it, like Kentamaeda on this on this tiny deal gives you financial flexibility to go out and sign Trevor Bauer next offseason, go out and sign Marcus Stroman next offseason, go out and sign James Paxton next offseason. When these guys are free agents, they have flexibility to do that. And then, yes, Brent, they have the flexibility in the farm system because they didn't make a, a, a you know, Glaber Torres for a this Chapman trade. Yeah. Not to bash on the Cubs that mm-hmm. won a World Series, but something like that where it was like, all right, we're pushing all the chips in. And, yes, did they, did they invest in the 2020 team? Yes. But they did not push all their chips. They didn't go trade the farm for, you know, Chris Sale, who, you know, just had arm surgery or uh, is getting Tommy John. But you know what I mean, or go get Noah Syndergaard. I'm just naming guys who've gotten Tommy John. I I said that they yeah. should go get Noah Syndergaard. Like, <laughs> I now take that back. Um, but <laughs> and I said they should go get Chris Sale. They didn't do that, and I think it gives them the flexibility to trade at the deadline. And because they have so much major league depth too, these guys aren't going to have spots. Like we just have to be honest. Max Kepler is here for five more years. I think it is, or four or five more years. Eddie Rosario's only got two years left. I'd be shocked if he mm-hmm. came back after those two years. I think he's going to be gone pretty soon, uh, whether that's trade or free agency. Uh, Byron Buxton has three more years in center field. I think he want, we want him in center field healthy for the next three years. I think he's the guy that we want out there. So where is Larnack and where is Kirilov going to fit in right now? Miguel Sano's locked in on a three-year deal at first. Josh Donaldson's locked in on a four-year deal at third. They're talking about extending Nelson Cruz into 2021 which is crazy but why wouldn't you if he's going to continue to hit like this so where does larnik fit in when he's ready to go where does kirilov fit in when he's ready to go eddie will have a spot there will be a spot waiting in left field for one of those guys but then a brent rooker too who i think has trade value so they have these pieces and they have it's a good problem to have that they have expend i don't want to say expendable because you know they could end up being mvp caliber but they have flexibility to go trade for a top tier arm at the deadline, whether that be Matthew Boyd or uh John Gray of Colorado and these are names that have been tossed around all offseason. We never mentioned Kenta Maeda. I mean I didn't even I didn't even think he yeah. was available. We just never thought he was. So they they go do that too. They'll go get someone we've never talked about and he'll go out and have a three twenty five ERA and win fifteen games. But uh I think they have the flexibility to do it. I don't know if we're going to get a trade deadline, but if there is one, I think the Twins will be active again. And, and you know, a lot of people said they went bare minimum last year, and I think that's a fair take because they only got Sam Dyson and, and Sergio Romo. But at the time, we got to remember Kyle Gibson was pitching really well. So it's it's a difficult thing at the deadline. Um, but I think they learned their lesson last year that they don't want to be in a position that they were mm-hmm. in in the playoffs where they had to start a Randy Dobnek in game, too. I think they were happy to put him out there. Rocco trusts him. I, I was excited at the time. Uh, but looking back, I don't think they want to put themselves in that situation again. And that's part of why they added this depth with Rich Hill and they have Pineda on resigning Pineda and, and Maeda and Odorizzi. And they have all these guys coming back plus depth and Homer Bailey and the three minor leaguers that I mentioned. So they didn't want to be in a position that they were in last October. And I think they've learned a lot. And maybe they learned too that we need that front level arm and let's go get them at the trade deadline, And I think they have the resources to do it. Absolutely. For sure. Even and comparing to last year. So, like.
2: last year at the deadline when we didn't get Bumgarner for Royce Lewis, and we're all bent out of Mm -hmm. shape and stressed out, Mm -hmm. like, why, why, why? We should have just done it. This is our year. (laughs) This is our year. But, like, look at the moves now, the things that we've done this year, and now going in, like, we can make those moves this year because now we'll even be more set up for success. And I feel like this would be the year that we would take those types of actions at the deadline if we were, like you said, going to get a deadline in 2020.
0: Yeah. I don't think they're, I don't think they're, and I, I'm totally in support of this. Their their thing too is not only yeah. flexibility, but also sustained success, right? And and they believe that building from within is how you sustain success. Look at the Dodgers. Look at the Yankees. I mean, Aaron, yes, the Yankees signed Garrett Cole level free agents, yeah. but they developed Aaron Judge, you know, and they developed Glavio Torres. They Raleigh's traded for all
2: this Chapman for Glavio to like, Torres. <laughs> I know. That's crazy, because who's their closer? Deal just looks, Jordan, I mean, yes, the Cubs got what they now? want, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, just it all works out for most sides.
1: But I mean, the Cubs got their world. It's training. wild,
0: but they make – yeah, they can sign big-level free agents, but they make these deals, and then they develop from within, and they, they churn out arms and legs too. Um, and that's what the Twins believe in, and, and they have the system to have sustained, sustained success. So I'm a little skeptical that the chip pushing is ever going to be – like ridiculous all in because that that's an all for example. That's a good example. Or Chapman for the Torres. That's an example of an all in move. You're trading six plus years of a potential. They didn't know at the time. You never know with prospects of a potential star for a closer for one year, basically a rental. That's an example of an all in move for a world series. I totally get it for the Cubs. I've argued with my Cubs fans, friends about this, about how I would never make that trade um, because I'm a, I'm a twins front office guy and, and they probably wouldn't make that trade. So that's a, a really good way to put it. I think is that they would never do something like that. So if you're expecting like this crazy, I just don't think they would do it because I I, I know that they want the sustained success, and we should be in support of that. In that, you know, I I think they want continuously to put out division winning caliber clubs, and whether they're as good as this 2020 team is shaping up to be, I I think that will be the question. But they're all I think for the next for for the foreseeable future their teams are going to be competitive and they're going to be fun and they're going to continue to have guys come through the system and just show up out of nowhere. Luis Arise, show up out of nowhere. And the only re- way you can do that is developing and then not trading away your assets that you view as, you know, contributors to the, to the near future or to even the distant future in younger outfielders in Mizial Urbina or even Akil Padu, uh, guys like that who if you think that they can be major leaguers, contribute to a division-winning club, don't trade them. You know, and I think they believe in that. And they believed in that at the trade deadline. They believed in it at this off season. The Kenta Maeda deal for me, I think once they decided that Bruce Star Gratterol was a reliever, it made him that much more expendable. They have a great bullpen already. They didn't really need him back there. I love Bruce Star Gratterol. I'm going to miss him. I already do. But that was not a chip pushing move. Yeah. That was a chip pushing move, but not like an all in move, you know. Cause I think once they realized he was a reliever and not that high art high caliber arm and uh, you know, they've mentioned this as well in Gleeman of the Geek. They could be wrong. They could be wrong about about Bruce Darkrader. He could turn out to be that ace-level pitcher. I don't think he will because I think the Dodgers are going to keep him back there for now. But they make these moves not only for uh, two weeks from now or a month from now. They make these moves for, okay, we're looking at 2025 when we're still employed by the Twins. Do we want to have a 50-win rebuilding club like they did in 2016 You know, I I think they think about that and I'm glad that they do because I'd rather have consistently winning teams with signings like Josh Donaldson because they had the flexibility to go do that when they have guys that come up and contribute at a consistent level. So it's just the best thing you could do. I believe in it, too, is is develop from within and then supplement with stars like Donaldson and like Nelson Cruz. And they've done it to just perfection. And now the only thing left is winning in the playoffs. Um, But, yeah, I I agree with you that they will definitely have resources to do do it at the deadline, and I expect that to happen. I just don't expect, like, a full-on chat for for a Glaber deal. Royce Lewis isn't going anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) No, he's not. I think, you know, they mentioned – I can't remember what it was on, but they mentioned uh, there are players that – this was – I don't know what the direct quote was. There are players that – and it was Thad or Derek, one of them – that they are going to see in a Twins jersey, is what they said. Like, they're not – they they no matter what push comes to shove, Royce Lewis or Alex Kirloff or whoever they have in mind, they're going to see them in a Twins jersey. No matter when it is, no matter how well it goes, uh, they're not going to trade them. So I, they might say they don't have untouchables. Some people say, oh, there's no such thing as an untouchable. They've said they're they're going to have guys come up and play in Twins jerseys. And that's a foregone conclusion. I think Royce and Kirloff fall into that pool. Yeah,
1: digging deeper into the Twins farm system, who is a guy besides the big three, Lewis, Larna, Kirloff, that you're looking forward to? Like I got a guy like Keone Cavico who we took 13th overall in 2019. And, I mean, he struggled in rookie ball. But, I mean, he could be a five-tool guy. He's 6'2", 190 pounds. He puts on 20, 30 pounds. You're looking at like a Marcus Simeon type shortstop. So I mean, who's your guy that yep. you have an eye on deeper in the system?
0: I think uh, you bring up a good point, Brent. In that they love upside, and I appreciate that because Royce Lewis at one—I uh, don't know if I, I don't remember this draft super well, but I, yep. I read about it now. Hunter Green was <laughs> supposed to go number one, um, and they took Royce Lewis. And Royce Lewis is a, a prep prep shortstop, a super—you know tools that jump off the page, but very, very raw. He's still that way. Uh, all due respect to Royce, who's great in the spring. I mean, d- decent in the spring hit up, hit a couple bombs. They actually had a homer off Zach Wheeler, which was fun to see. Uh, but you know, guys that have tools that jump off the page because they so clearly believe that they can develop them and they can pull those tools out. And that's why Keone's fun too, mm-hmm. because he's a lot like Royce. He's a, he's a rangy shortstop, big, whose tools jump off the page has high upside, very like even more raw than Lewis was back in 2017. Super raw, and we saw it at rookie ball. I think he hit 170 or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't matter because they they believe that they can develop him, they don't need him to do well right now, you know. They just want him him with the right process and doing the right things. Uh, my favorite twins prospect mm-hmm. is Johan Duran, he's a top five prospect, so I, I'm, he's my favorite prospect. Um, you know, huge fastball 99 to 101 with his fastball. He's a big dude. I think he's under, like undersold on his size. I think he's actually about 6'6", 240. Uh, he came over in that es- uh, Escobar trade in 2018. Uh, has a splinker, which is a super nasty pitch, and then it's kind of working in a slider and, and a changeup as well. But he's a guy that I look at who I think is going to be here very soon. He pitched at high A last year, pitched super well, got moved up to double A, struck out a ton of guys. ERA was a little inflated, but had an eight-inning shutout start against Jacksonville where he was just lights out. I think he has tremendous upside. I think the twins are going to find out quickly. Uh, you know, Escobar has been great in Arizona and, and we miss, uh, you know, him as well. But I think the twins are going to find out that they made a really good deal at the 2018 deadline to get Yoan Duran. So I'm really excited about him. Uh, looking back, I mean, I think there's so many arms at like 10, 11, 12, my 10, 11, 12, I think right around that range, Matt Cantorino, uh, Cole Sands, Blaine Enlow, They have all these arms that I think have high upside and are also mm-hmm. close to being ready in the major leagues and, and I'm certainly excited about them. I think even a guy like Nick Gordon, who who finally, you know, showed up in twins camp and started playing, used to be a top prospect, now is in the twenty to thirty range. I think he can come up and be a utility player when Marwin leaves next year and Audreonzo is also a free agent. We can't forget about that. So the Twins will be lo- losing their basically top two utility guys next year. Sans uh, Williams Asedio as well, who will be sticking around but uh, you know, happy about Tortuga sticking. But Nick Gordon is someone who can step right into that utility role. So I think contributing directly at the major league level very soon, uh, Nick Gordon, I think, will be here uh, shortly. And maybe not as soon as Kirilov and Larnack. But, you know, if they need a shortstop or a second baseman, if Arise and Polanco go down and, and they don't want to put Marwin up the middle anymore, which I don't think they do, I think they'd rather have Marwin in the corners at first and third and, and left and right. But I think Nick Gordon's going to be that guy that comes up. And then just there's – you look back and there's just these arms that are so exciting. And I think some of them have to hit mm-hmm. when you have as many as they do. Even Griffin Jacks, who, who pitched in – I think he pitched in Fort Myers as well, uh, was at least there. You know, pitched in – I think he was in the Air Force. And it's just a great run preventer. I mean, it, not – strikeouts don't jump off the page. His upside actually is not crazy but he's a guy that could come up and produce too. Sean Poppin mm-hmm. pitched at the big league level last year and, and was, was fine. You know, and I think these guys can come up, contribute very, very shortly and, and contribute in a decently big way. And especially in a shortened season, like I said, that's going to be huge for them uh, having that depth in the system. Certainly. But I think my main guy to watch, and I, I, I try to make it a prophecy kind of thing um, is you on, because I think I I'm, you know, fairly certain if this kid stays healthy, in the next few years, we're going to see uh, just what he brings to the table. And when he when he gets up here to Minnesota and he's pumping ninety nine to a hundred consistently in the seventh and eighth inning uh, against those <laughs> those dang Chicago White Sox, but striking them all out, uh, it's going to be exciting. So I think Duran is the guy to watch. Jordan Balazovic, too, of course. I mean, we're excited about him as well. Hasn't pitched, you know, pitched low a and high. A. hasn't hasn't been up into the upper tier level of the minors. You know, Duran Duran hasn't super you know been there a super long time either but he'll start at double A and I think Balazovic pretty soon will be at double A. Duran loaded the bases in a spring training game against the Cardinals and then kind of danced his way out of it without giving up a run and I think he kind of shows uh, I'm just so bullish on him I think it just shows uh, his ability to I think he has a composure about him just generally and I think uh, he's a guy that we should really be excited about coming up here in the twin system i also think he's another untouchable actually and i think they're super high on you duran and, and i am he's actually probably uh my third twins prospect mm-hmm. after uh, lewis and, and Kirillov. as excited as i am about larduk i probably have duran third so not deeper in the system brent but someone i'm really really excited about enough to uh forego the deep system picks to uh take yeah and maybe uh duran
1: can be uh our big prospect that we had back in 2006 guy by the name of Francisco Liriano and Jose Barrios and Durant to be <laughs> the whole Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano one-two punch.
0: Yeah and hopefully they can stay healthy all together you know like in 2006 and uh, that would have been a fun year if uh, Francisco was healthy the whole year. I think they were projected yeah. they probably would have been one and two in Cy Young if you would have if you would have continued that. Um, but yeah I just think you look at the lineup, and then you look at the rotation and the arms that they have coming up as well, and the upside is there. So I I think we yearn for that frontline starter. I think it's coming. Uh, it could be in the form of Yoander. I certainly think he will be, but it might be someone that we've <laughs> never heard of because that's just the Twins' way. I mean, they're going to either acquire someone we've never heard of, or someone's going to come up and uh, you know hit 334. Uh, and Arise was not someone who was completely off the table. I mean, we we knew of him as a Twins prospect but certainly didn't expect him to have the rookie season that he did. So these things happen with the Twins because of their developmental system, and it's just going to be fun and exciting, and, and we'll just be along for the ride as, as these guys come through. But, uh, you know, I think Keone as well is really exciting, and I think as raw as he is, uh, the tools are there, certainly, and, and he's going to be someone to watch here. Kind of fly up the prospect rankings hopefully in the next 18 few years, years I old. Think he's younger than me. I think he's a year younger than me, so – which is crazy, yeah. So that's that's wild um, and very raw. But he looked uh, he looked really big in Fort Myers. Like looked like he put on a lot of weight, and a lot of muscle, as well as Royce Lewis. So uh, these guys keep getting bigger. These shortstops and they keep hitting homers. Uh, it's gonna be a special middle infield combo with rise and and uh, Keone or Arise. Yeah, Jordan. Who's your guy?
2: Arise you got an eye on in our system? Honestly, I've just been waiting for the day of Nick Gordon, Whenever that day would come. <laughs> Honestly, remember, remember how excited. <laughs> so Brent and I actually lived in it's Orlando coming. during that time, and so he was—he's from Orlando. And when mm-hmm. he got drafted, we're all excited, as if he's because he's part of the Gordon family. Tom Gordon's was a stud. His brother he was yep. still solid at the time, stealing like sixty bags a year, and it just mm-hmm. never happened. And he's now—he's twenty-four, yep. going on twenty-five, and just waiting on the day. But uh. I mean, I saw him in spring training when I was in Fort Myers too. This over in March, in early March, and I was, yeah, I saw him in action. Well, I saw oh, guys, we're in there BP. together. Cool to see, but <laughs> uh, I'm, I honestly, just going back on that spring training trip. Yeah, that's just cool. so thankful and blessed that I got there and back and got to see some baseball because, like, I God, I can't imagine. Oh, I know, <laughs> so right? At least I had my fix. <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, I was yeah, just—I mean, we were sitting deal. there. We're like, "Oh, it's opening days in two yeah, weeks." Just I so know. excited watching the game. Little Gosh. did we know, this just yeah. a bomb drop. So, yeah, that's that's fun. We got to go though. I, I'm definitely grateful yeah. too. I'll that, keep was a, that, that was myself. That was the I, I feel bad uh, for
2: myself. My little brother got Larnick's autograph. <laughs> super cool. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, no. Super oh cool. wow, like, that's pretty. He's nice. a good. He's like a good guy. My brother and. I mean, that's memories that he and I have forever. Good times.
0: Oh yeah, he's a he's yeah, a good guy. Sure. I think mm-hmm. uh, also the character is pretty strong on the club as well. One more thing on Gordon, I think the I just on my I'm locked on Lockdown twins. I, I kind of compared him a little bit to Luis Arise, kind of looking just at a, a you know a shorter yeah. not as not as, a little stockier as a middle infielder, but uh, the difference is just the approach. I think they both have great contact ability. Of course, we know that about Luis, but uh, Nick Gordon has contact ability. I think he hit 290 in Rochester. But the problem is his approach. He strikes out too much. He doesn't walk enough because of his play discipline. That's I think is yeah. the only difference, but it's such a big difference between the two. right? I think the what makes Luis Arise so great is that his discipline allows him to hit 330. Um, Nick Gordon doesn't let – his discipline does not allow him to reach that level. It's just that he – I think his walker, it was 5% last year, struck out at 20%. Yeah. Luis uh, Arise walked more than he struck out. So it's just like that's the big difference. They have very similar contact ability. Like Nick Gordon has that ability to spray the ball over the field from the left side of the plate. He just doesn't have the same discipline as Arise. But if he was able to develop that, I think we could say mm-hmm. that about probably 500 major leaguers if they developed
2: <laughs> plate discipline. Oh God, they'd be really special. But for sure, Nick can we can only hope. Where do, uh, see, where do you see where do so. you see Arise batting? So I mean, even since honestly, like day one when he arrived to the, to the big stage. His presence at the plate, true professional, very patient. Um, where do you see him batting in twenty twenty?
0: Yeah, it's God. It's a good question, isn't it? I think you know. Certainly, it's so weird with this lineup because uh, you no know, matter yeah, if you yeah. one decision you make can honestly shuffle the whole lineup because you think that Rocco is going to keep the left right left right left right combo. Um, you expect that to happen. he, he certainly values mm-hmm. that, so if you put a rise first, you gotta have a righty second uh, so you'd have maybe Donaldson uh, do you then go back to back Donaldson Cruz though and then you break that rule and then maybe kepler four and I think that's been the lineup that they've been that has certainly been opinioned is that people think it'll go arise uh Donaldson Cruz mm-hmm. Kepler, but then where's Jorge Polanco hit? you know is he hitting sixth because then after Kepler. Uh, maybe you have Sano, and then you have Polanco, and then Garber's batting seventh, and then Eddie's batting eighth. So <laughs> it's just someone's, someone really good is going to be batting eighth, um, and that could be Luisa Reyes as well. So I, I look at it, my prediction from everything I've heard and read and um, just what I think, I think they do value Jorge Polanco in the two-hole against righties at least because he hits righties really well. And he did – I mean, he was the starter in the All-Star game last year for the American League. Uh, I think Jorge Polanco has kind of gotten – overlooked on this team because of how deep it is. But you mm-hmm. mentioned he played in 153 last year. I think it was. And, and he's the only guy to do it. Led the team in war on baseball reference and uh, had just a tremendous season. Uh, just great power. Got on base. Walked. Great uh, approach. I think his walk rate was 10%. Hit 22 dingers or whatever. Uh, he was great. So I think they value him in the two hole against righties. Doesn't hit lefties as well as a switch hitter. He's just not as good from the right side of the plate. More contact. Less power. So I think, in my opinion, against righties, and you're right, Arise's approach is really hard to keep him out, um, but I think against righties, Max Kepler's going to lead off again. I think Polanco's going to bat second, Cruz third, Donaldson fourth. Donaldson actually said in Fort Myers, uh, he thinks versus yep. righties, he's going to bat cleanup, and then versus lefties, yep. he's going to bat second. So, yeah, I, I, you might have seen that too, but Polanco against lefties is probably batting sixth, I would say, and then against righties, batting second, and then arise. Geez, I don't know. I, get, I mean, he had a similar on-base percentage against righties and lefties last year, didn't slug as well against lefties, um, but I think could find himself in the eight hole, honestly, against righties, and then probably similar against lefties, maybe eight or nine. You have Buxton batting eight against lefties and, and Arise rounding it out at nine, yeah. but someone really good's going to hit seventh or eighth, and it feels like a crime, uh, honestly, <laughs> to drop them that low. Uh, I would feel really good having a rise off too because I believe in him and I believe in his his ability to uh, force pitches down the middle of the Mm -hmm. plate and then also get those – Yes, they are. That's what I would say. I have a fight for
2: him to be a leadoff hitter, but I also – if we had him eight or nine with Buxton, I honestly think that's the best eight, nine hitters in baseball. When healthy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just a a dynamic, right? Because the rise is – you know, Buxton's kind of a free swinger type. Uh, On-base percentage is always going to hover right around 300, but Arise, uh, just amazing ability to get on. So every time Buxton comes up in the nine hole, yeah, or exactly. almost you yeah. know, 40% of the time, Arise is going to be there yeah. on base, which you want to because Buck is, might have 50 doubles, you know, not this year, but in a regular year. Uh, I think he had 31 mm-hmm. before he got hurt last year and was That's the top deep. three in the majors. All right,
1: gentlemen, I, we could probably talk Twins baseball
0: before i <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh God! But we should probably oh, wrap this God. bad
1: boy up, but we're gonna have to get you on future episodes because this this is fun. I mean, I could talk Twins baseball forever.
0: Oh, I I love it. I love the the Twins. Yeah. Oh, all day long. Yeah. So to wrap this wrap this guys,
1: up, yeah, what is your best Twins
0: memory? <laughs> oh, my best Twins memory. Thanks, Brent. Uh, we were. I mean, I I have plenty of them. Uh, we were at. Uh, Some more recent, some more further out. Like I said, I think I mentioned we were at game 163 in 2009. I milked that. I milked that. Yeah, we were at game 163. I was only nine. um, But I think we went to the third or fourth game at Target Field, too. So, I got to go to some big ones. I was blessed. My dad brought me to to fun games. Um, But I'd say my best Twins memory. um, I I mean, I'm going to go off the beaten path here. I'd say just getting back into it last summer. I think – watching them last Mm -hmm. summer and and really getting involved more than I ever have been with the team uh, and then starting to write and then starting the podcast. I just have had a blast doing it. And I think uh, my biggest twins memory, if I had to narrow it down to one Mm -hmm. thing from last summer, it's got to be the Miguel (laughs) Grand Slam in Cleveland Mm -hmm. (laughs) to seal the division. Right. Uh, So yeah, that was certainly fun, but I, I have good twins memories growing up. Um, But I think last summer it really took off. And I think uh, it's really a good time to be a Twins fan. I think it's the best time ever. Uh, I think a lot of people have said that as well. And I definitely agree is that not only are they going to be good this year, hopefully if they play this summer, but also, and uh, we talked about it the last hour, how how special this farm system is as well and uh, the sustained success that hopefully they have in the upcoming years for us and then mm-hmm. for Minnesota. Jordan, what do you? what's yours? Oh,
2: I could go, I could probably pick one by year, um, but I would have to say, like, even growing up, going to Twins games with uh, a couple <laughs> of buddies of mine, Andrew and Bobby, uh, got Johan Santana's autograph, which was a pretty damn big deal in the Metrodome. I'd say that's pretty up there as oh, far as wow. like experience. Like that was only being able to see like one game. A year that's ago. pretty so, sweet. Like, traveling from Duluth down here, which was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Um, that so that's got to be up there as far as top tier. Right. But even like, even honestly, like I mentioned this before, but before the game started of Game Three, that hype in the playoffs, like everything that was going on. At oh, it was great at that point in time. The uh, the. Ter- uh, the homer Hanky's just waving like that was electric and yep yeah i actually gave one i, I got the hopefully i'm sure on you that yep. wall.
1: mine oh, Brent, was Brent, for back memory? in the day when you went to in high school and you went to the metrodome that was a big deal going to the metrodome to watch a twins game was a big deal but recently yeah. was the 2007 i wasn't at the game or anything but in 2017 that wild card game we lost to the Yankees. But when Eddie – I was delivering pizzas that night, listening to the game on the radio. And when Eddie Rosario hit that three-run home <laughs> run, I had to pull the car over and just freak out. That was unreal.
0: Unbelievable. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. I, I forgot about a big one, too. Is uh, I was driving back to Missouri. because It was after winter break this year uh, in January. Of course, this year. He only signed this year. But I – Got a text from a buddy. That I had to do the same thing, Brett. I pulled over to the gas station, screaming, just so screaming. Could not believe it. I was in the hy bathroom yelling, and, and the person came in there like, are you okay? Yes, yeah, I'm good. Donaldson's a twin. <laughs> so that's, that reminded me. I had to pull over for that, too. But uh, if you're driving, definitely you got to pull over in, in twins times like that. That's right. Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you uh, you asking me questions and listening. Sure. And uh, please. Yeah, how can everyone follow
1: you and together. where can they listen to account. you at?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm sure they all follow. No, I'm kidding. Uh, at Locked on Twins on Twitter is the show handle. I'm also at Nash Walker9 on Twitter. And then uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And then I post them every day on. Locked on twins and then twinsdaily.com. Not not just me, I only post every Friday, but uh, the stuff there is just incredible. So, and if you guys ever want to write, you should start. Uh, I'm sure you would both be great. You should start writing for them. It's just an amazing opportunity, and the content there is, is really second to none. We have so many great writers who are covering so many different things. So, twinsdaily.com is uh, the source for hey, you hey, and stuff. Hey, and keep listening yep. to the Exit <laughs> Velocity podcast. Did I say it right? <laughs>
2: Yes. All sir. right, you have a good Thank night, night sure. sir. Appreciate you, it.